Welcome to Construction, a show about the missions, activities, and employees of the Tulsa District U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Today, I'm with Ranger Matthew Sexton of the Eufaula Lake Project Office. Ranger Sexton, welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the honor of being here. First of all, tell us about Eufaula. So for people who aren't familiar with Lake Eufaula, uh, can you give us a little bit of a, a, a quick rundown of Lake Eufaula and where we are and uh, the lake itself? Okay. So we're about an hour and a half south of Tulsa. Tulsa is kind of the big area that we're known for. It's the Tulsa district is what we're a part of. We're one lake in the Tulsa district. Um, we... The lake itself has about 800 miles of shoreline, so it's actually one of the biggest lakes. Us and Texoma are two of the biggest, the two of the biggest lakes in Oklahoma. So we have a lot to manage. So Eufaula, the lake itself is was named after the town of Eufaula. It's a very small town, but during the summer, as understandable, it kind of grows three, four times, five times the size that it is throughout the rest of the year. And it's mainly due to the lake all the recreation, all the campgrounds around the lake, all the areas just for the public to come and use the lake. Um, I've been here for six years. I originally came from North Carolina where I spent most of my life. The Corps brought me to Oklahoma. Um, definitely was a change here at first. It's a little smaller than what I'm used to, but I've enjoyed it and it's enjoyed getting to work here and getting to work around a lake. I mean, it's kind of like a dream job in a way for a a lot of people think when they hear my job, they're like, oh, park ranger. That's like a dream job. I'm like, at times it definitely is. And I enjoy it. So do you like that mustard and vinegar barbecue? <laughs> we definitely had some good barbecue back in North Carolina. And I've kind of had to test a couple different ones while I've been out here. And I don't really know what my preference is. Really? But definitely probably more the vinegar barbecue. Vinegar, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and you're, are you from like Western or the Eastern part of the state? Where are you from in North Carolina? Um, I'm from the Greensboro area is where I grew up for about 19 years. So that's kind of more central North Carolina. Right. Yeah. Triad. So, yep. Yep. So exactly. are you, are you East of, or like Northeast of Greensboro? Are you closer to the Virginia border or? I was actually just North of Greensboro, a small little town called Summerfield, North okay. Carolina, but nobody knows where Summerfield is at. So okay. I just usually said Greensboro. Okay. Near High Point. Yep, exactly. And so where'd you go to college? Just in the mountains of North Carolina, a small little, um, about 2000 student campus called Mars Hill, M-A-R-S Hill, Mars Hill. It's a university now, but it was a college when I was there. And it became a university by my senior year. Okay. So uh, how far was that from like Montreat and Black Mountain and Ooh, Boone? Probably 30, 40 minutes to an hour and some. Boone's a little farther. Okay. Um, just a different part of the mountains than where I was at. Okay. So were you on that like eastern edge of the foothills there? Yeah, okay. exactly. Yep. As you were coming from, it was about two hours from Greensboro is where my Mars Hill was at. So beyond that or a different part of north or south of the mountains is where you had Boone and other parts. You guys have about 800 miles of shoreline and um, largest lake in Oklahoma, fully in Oklahoma, right? So uh, the shoreline management plan and shoreline management or the shoreline use permit program, right? Tell us about what that entails. Okay. So the... Lake itself 
has a shoreline management plan that has basically been in place since the, like 1976. So since then, there's been multiple revisions to this plan that tells us how to manage the shoreline around the lake, hence a shoreline management plan. Um, so the most recent revision was a couple years before 2013 is when that shoreline management plan was being revised. And that's the current revision mm -hmm. that we are under today is the 2013 revision of that plan. Um, in that plan, there's different what we call shoreline allocation. So the whole shoreline, all 800 miles of that shoreline has been broken up into main, four main allocations that within those four different things can happen. Shoreline use permits is one of those things and that can happen only in a small part of that shoreline or a part of one of those allocations. So the four allocations, just run through them real quick, is limited, limited development shoreline. Um, then you also have public recreation shoreline, protected shoreline, and then prohibited access shoreline. So there's four different ones. And within those, there's different things that you can and cannot do. So the shoreline use program, which is permits, is within that limited development shoreline. Most of that shoreline exists around developments where people live. It's the shoreline is, that is adjacent to where they are living. And within that is where we can issue boat dock permits. Another type of permit that we issue is called a mowing permit. Well, it's actually a technical name is a vegetation modification permit, but most of the public refers to it as a mowing permit because it grants them access or the privilege of modifying the vegetation on government property. Why is that vegetation, I don't guess protected is the best word to use, but like why is that, why is it so important that you have that, 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 um, that zone between the, the property and the, and the shoreline, right? That you like for the mo that you have to maintain a certain amount of vegetation, right? Right. So, like, what is it for? I mean, around like say someone owns property and it is bumps up to core property um, or bumps up to the shoreline, they have to maintain like how much vegetation? Okay. How so, does that work? What does right. it look like? So nobody can technically modify any government property or do anything on public property, government property, we'll refer to it as just the government property. Um, nobody can do anything on that property without permission from the Corps of Engineers. And I'll back up a minute and say that some people around this lake, due to how the lake originally, the shoreline was acquired back in time when the lake was built. Um, some people actually own it into the water in very rare circumstances. And then some people have two to 300, 400, 500 feet between where their property, private property ends and the public property starts all the way down to the water. So within that area, there is vegetation. So to answer, to answer your question, um, the, and the Corps grants permission um, through a permit process and an application process for people to modify that vegetation within regulations, within rules, that the shoreline management plan sets forth. If there's not a permit in place, they can't do anything. But the shoreline management plan is there to allow people some sort of way to 
keep the vegetation from growing up, getting out of control in a way to keep it kind of maintained in a way to help them. Yeah, to give them a better view of the lake, to keep down any kind of animals and pests that may come from that property onto their property. Um, if it's all private property that goes in all the way into the lake, then do they, can they mow all the way to the shoreline? Yes. Okay. So if you own the property, it you can do that. Right. Um, but if it butts up against core property. Right. So some people do own into the water and for the, for the vegetation modification perspective, yes, they could mow all the way down to the water. Without a permit. Without a permit, because right. that's their private property. Okay. Now, when there's private property involved that close to the lake, that does kind of take into another account what we call easements and flowage easements, which the government purchased the right to flood up to a certain elevation. And if there is ever a flood event, um, there may be a flood flowage easement that allows the government to flood up to a certain point. Sometimes there's a flowage easement in place. Sometimes there's not. But what that flowage easement does, it does inhibit the owner on building, say, a habitable structure or something that could potentially flood. Um, if permanent, that, permanent structures, especially. Correct. Right? Yes. Um, because that interferes with the amount of flood storage, I correct. guess, right? So tell me about, like, you guys have how many permits out there? Altogether, we probably have probably over 3,000 permits. That is um, private floating facility permits, which is boat dock permits. That is vegetation, modific vegetation modification permits or mowing permits. And then there's other permits that exist, such as woodcutting permits that allow individuals to cut down trees that may be potentially going to fall on their private property, such as their house or their docks. We give them the permission through a permit to cut those trees down so that they can get rid of those to avoid the chance of that falling and hurting, destroying their, their private property. And then there's also another permit called an erosion control structure, which is a permit. Um, basically, that is a we're permitting them and giving them a chance to protect the shoreline around the lake from eroding any further. So with all the floods, when the lake goes up and down, starts to eat away at the shoreline and an erosion control structure, most of the time is some sort of natural stone rock about with the common size is 18 to 24 inch riprap, which is giant natural stone spread out along the shoreline in an effort to keep the shoreline from eroding any further. So right. those are the different types of permits. You guys call that armoring typically, right? Armoring. It has been referred to that, yes. It's armoring, yeah. Um, so what, what, are, uh, what are some of the, so you guys have a lot of boat docks, right? We do. But are there, are there areas of the lake you can't have any more boat docks? Or how do, how do you decide about whether or not a property is allowed to have a boat? Obviously, I guess the shoreline management plan comes into play there. So can you tell us how that, how, how boat docks are determined, how a determination is made in regard to boat docks? Absolutely. Um, if we go back to what I talked about at the very beginning, the four shoreline allocations, the limited development shoreline, once again, is the only area on this lake where a private citizen can apply for 
the potential to have a boat dock adjacent to their private property. Um, so during that process, it all starts with an application or a request to this office. What we encourage people to do is if they can, come to this office and sit down with us and we'll be glad to look at your private property, where it's located at, and just give you an evaluation. We'll tell you at the end of the conversation, we can pretty much tell you, well, there's no possible way that we see for you to get a boat dock. And I can go into the reasons why they probably would not get a boat dock. Or we can tell them, well, it's looking very promising. So, and it, I don't see anything at this time that would be stopping you from getting a dock. So here's an application. I would start the application process. What are the, what are some of the things that, that preclude people from getting boat docks? Okay, so in the shoreline management plan, there's a couple requirements that we look at for every case. Each case can be a little different based on how the shoreline's set up, where the private property's at, close to the lake. But we basically, there's like a rule of five things. Um, we look at the coves where that dock is at. There's a third of a cove. So depending on where the private property is at, um, a third of the cove, you can't make a cove unnavigable within the shoreline management plan. So if a dock's going to potentially stop a, a cove from being navigable, so keeping boats from navigating to the back of that cove and out, then it could limit or even stop somebody from getting a dock back there. Um, That's if it's blocking like access essentially correct. to the area, right? Correct. Okay. Um, another one is spacing. So there's a minimum of 75 feet that is required between the closest point on one facility to the closest point on another facility. So if somebody wants to put a dock in, but they can't meet that 75 foot, it has to be on both sides. So a brand new dock, you'd have to have 75 feet on one side, 75 feet on the other. If you can't meet that 75 foot minimum spacing requirement, then you would probably, you would not be approved the dock. And, and what is the, the rationale behind that, behind the why, you know, there's that 75 feet spacing. So there's a density calculation that's taken, and that's going to be another requirement that kind of fits into that as well, that 75 foot minimum spacing. So this whole area, so in the limited development shoreline, um, there's areas that are suitable for boat docks and areas that are unsuitable. Um, so I'm going to kind of give you a little bit more information that's ultimately, I hope, going to answer your question. Yeah. Um, so within that area, what would make a shoreline unsuitable would be, say, water depth if it's too shallow, um, wind fetch. So if there's too much open water from that shoreline out, say like a mile of open water, that dock or that shoreline is probably unsuitable because the wind would absolutely destroy any docks, north wind, south wind, depending on what way that wind was coming. In those areas, when that shoreline management plan was done and revised areas like that were taken into consideration to keep people from having to put so much money into docks and got docks getting destroyed and it's not a good outcome for anybody so the plan is structured in such a way that hopefully eliminates the areas that are the worst for boat docks um so within those are kind of the things that make a dock area of the shoreline unsuitable and then in the suitable areas if it is suitable and it's not too shallow, there's not all that wind fetch within that suitable area, then that there's there's those suitable areas are broken up around the lake. You may have a big long spans 
of suitable, or it may be a short little space depending on those other factors that would make it unsuitable. Um, so within those suitable areas, um, there's a density. We don't want to have too many docks go above the threshold is 50%. So there's a density calculation that has the spacing in it, the number of docks in it, putting into account the current dock that you're adding. Once it goes above that 50%, then no more docks can be in that area. Before the 2013 shoreline management plan update, there's there wasn't quite all these guidelines and right um, rules and docks were placed more in lenient ways. And so you'd have access points around the lake or certain areas where everybody wanted their docks. So you, if anybody were to look on a map or go out to certain parts of this lake, you would see docks piled in close. You can almost walk from one dock to the next. And that's not a suitable and that's not a maintainable, maintainable way to place docks on this lake. So the most recent shoreline management plan was that one, that's one of the things that was taken into account to hopefully minimize the chance and keep it more maintainable for the future, for the foreseeable future on placing new docks. Um, and 75 feet was just the number. It was 50 feet once upon a time, but they felt like that probably would still get too many docks in one area and it could get out of control. So then 75 feet was kind of a good number that worked. And that's based on um, the boat size, boat backing a boat in and out. So if you have, most docks are not, you don't just pull into the dock forward you can pull in from the sides too and so that 75 foot on each side was taken into account for the average boat size and able to back in and out of a slip and get out freely without the possibility of backing in or backing into another dock so you don't have to try to like parallel park slide in there like you know, correct yes <laughs> not in a boat and on a boat that's that's kind of challenging i mean you know um So you guys have about a little, you have more than 3,000 permits. How do you, because you guys, there's only what, um, what do you have, 12 rangers, 15 rangers here? We have a staff of 10. 10 rangers. 10 rangers. And then you've got a couple maintenance people? Yep, we have four maintenance, okay. four maintenance. Um, and, um, and so how do you guys go about, you know, because you have to do inspections every so often, right? Or correct. renewals or... How does it work for that process? So all the permits on this lake are basically on a five-year renewal cycle. So when we issue a permit, then it's good for five years. So every five years, we are working 20% of that 3,000 permits or however many permits there is at that time. So this year, I don't know off the top of my head what that might be, 20% of 3,000. But that number is then broken up into how many ever rangers we have at that time with people leaving, coming, new jobs and so forth, that number might fluctuate a little bit, but for the most part, it's around 10. And so that number is then assigned out and that's 70, 80 permits for the whole year. That's assigned per to ranger. one per ranger. For yeah. example, me, that's how many I got, 80 permits. Yeah, you gotta do about 600 a year to do 20%. Correct. Yeah, yeah, so that so. 600 is divided up between all those rangers. Wow. So it makes it a little more manageable than if they were, say, on like a year renewal cycle. So we were going out every year and looking at all 3,000. As we continue to get more permits and that number continues to grow. Right. Um, that would be extremely unmanageable. So the five-year 
is similar to the number for licenses as well, which a license allowed, for example, is say an electrical line license. Somebody has a contract with the government that they can have a line, electrical line, from their private property running under core property down to their dock. And that's on a five-year um, cycle as well. So the permits were put on that five-year cycle just to keep it all similar in kind of the same process. Do you have like two years if there's two years left? or? Okay. Um, so what we tell people is permits are non-transferable. Okay. So the process, though, to take that permit and issue it to the new owner is called what we call a change of ownership. So the permit that is existing when a property is sold, whether it's a boat dock permit or a mowing permit, in essence ends. The current, the new owner is not able to do anything with those permits that are existing. They have to get new permits issued into their name. So when somebody say changes or a property is sold, another property and that is purchased by somebody, that new owner then has to fill out an application and they provide proof of ownership. So they show, oh, here's a warranty deed showing that we own the property adjacent to this dock or adjacent to where this mowing permit is. And there's also what we call a bill of sale. The bill of sale is a one-page document, usually, from the previous owner saying, I, John Dole, sold my dock to Tommy Jones for a set amount of money with this permit number on it, EU, which is short for Ufala. Ufala permit number, say, 198. And then is sold to this new individual for a set amount of money. And then they provide that bill of sale to us. And then on our side, once we receive what we call a complete packet, which would include that warranty deed showing that they own that property adjacent to core property, then the bill of sale also that they purchase that dock. We on our side then it basically starts the renewal process or the change of ownership process, which in that process, we have to do an inspection. So we have to then have to go out and look at that dock or that mowing permit, see if the previous owner is following, was following the current regulations of the permit. If they're not, then we advise the new owner, well, here's what you need to do to come into compliance with the rules and regulations for your permit. If you don't, we can potentially terminate your permit, or make you remove your dock from the lake. Obviously, that's a worst-case scenario, but we want people to – the point is to keep them compliant with the rules and regulations of the shoreline management plan. What um, what kind of things are you looking for during a dock inspection? What, what, are, you, what are you trying to identify and get people making sure they're maintaining their dock? So as rangers, we're not – um, the subject matter experts on building, designing a dock. So, but we have plans on file that tell how that dock was built. It, they show the measurements, what that dock's supposed to look like. And we've looked at enough docks. And as your time here as a ranger, you've looked at enough docks. You can see what may be wrong with the dock. For example, if there's a broken piece of metal along a walkway that's hurting the structure of the dock, then it, that if left and not fixed, that dock is gonna to continue to deteriorate. Um, flotation is another um, part of that. Um, you'll see a lot of open cell flotation, which is like the styrof white styrofoam flotation that exists under a lot of docks. Now that stuff deteriorates a lot quicker if it's not properly maintained. And we'll see a lot of docks out there where it's 
continue to deteriorate even within the five years. So we, as mentioned before, we look at docs every five years. If say there's not a change of ownership, which could flag the inspection early, it could change hands next year. And we have to go look at that doc again next year. Um, but within a five year period, that doc, if not properly maintained, maintained could quickly deteriorate. Like with the, with the, with the styrofoam, uh, there's a term for that that stuff, right? The float, the float, the flotation material. Right. Is, um, it's it's basically just open cell styrofoam flotation is the white flotation that's very common. Right. Now they started we, encasing a lot of it, right? Correct. That's the only kind that we now allow. There's encased flotation. There's some other types in our shoreline management. Shoreline management plan talks about the other types, but the most common one is encapsulated. So what it is, is it's the white open cell, but it's encased in a black plastic hard sided container that will stand up a lot better to weather. It won't have vegetation growing out of it. Um, is the old open cell, if say a bird comes along, drops a seed, it starts growing up a plant, and then that deteriorates that piece of open cell even quicker. Yeah, the um, roots start breaking the styrofoam off and then, yeah. Correct. So open cell can be made, if it's properly maintained, it can last extremely long too, but a lot of times it's not. The open cell is a lot less maintenance, or the, sorry, the encapsulated is what the common term that we refer is a lot more common and it's becoming more common. And when people build, say, a new dock or replace the flotation on their existing dock, they have to replace it with one of the new approved methods. And the encapsulated is the most common one that they replace it with. And it lasts a lot longer. It's lower maintenance in the long term. Um, and the flotation is another one of those things that we look at. We also look at on board, the boards along a walkway or the boards on a dock. If there's too many missing, that can cause us to write them a deficiency letter. So any of these things that are causing a problem on the dock or the dock is not in compliance, basically we're looking for safety. If something is in our mind, well, that's unsafe, then we will let the owner know that you have 30 days to correct what we call these deficiencies to your dock. We'll send you a letter and you have 30 days to correct these deficiencies. Hmm. And if you don't correct them, I mean, as mentioned before, the worst case scenario is we make you pull your dock off the lake. We don't, we never want to do that, right. but we have to keep compliance for safety and other reasons. So if you're not keeping your dock compliant, then we can either write you a warning or a citation or even make you remove your dock from the lake. And you've worked some floods, right? You've worked quite a few. So uh, you've probably had to go and um, you've probably located some while you were out patrolling on the lake at times, right? Like you've seen some post-flood, post-storm. Yes. Um, runaway docks, right? Right. After the, we had a flood back in 2019 and that was one of the biggest ones we've had in a while. Everybody talks about the 90 flood, and this was one of those that was in more recent times since I've been here in the last six years, that after that flood and the water finally came down here at Eufaula, I wouldn't say, hopefully a third is not too big of a number, but it seemed like a third of the docks around this lake probably had some sort of damage to them. Either they were jacked up on their pencils, which means that they were uneven, and if left that way, it could lead to further problems later, or docks were completely no longer where they were supposed to be. They were halfway across the lake and people had to go find their docks. There was a big long list for all these companies around the lake that work on docks to get help people get docks back into 
compliance for our standards. And and each doc has a number, right? Like, Correct. Okay. And you're not allowed to tell people like information about owners who owns what docs, right? Like you can't Correct. give out that information. So the That's permit number information, right? Absolutely. So the permit number and the expiration date are posted. We give the the owner stickers that they have to post on their dock. But that's all anybody that's coming up to that dock can know. Um, But if somebody calls here asking, well, who's owner of that dock? There's a problem with it. Well, we're like, well, unfortunately, we can't give you out that information. That information is private. We will take what you have told us and we will contact the owner accordingly. Right. And... um... That, so how do how does that work with the the transfer? Like if you're if you're about to buy a property and you're concerned about the status of a dock on a property that you're about to buy, um, do you advise people to just come down here with the owner or? That is would- one option. Um, most of the time, what I've told people is I need some sort of written permission from the current owner to speak with you. I'll tell you whatever you want to know, but not without written permission from the current owner. Because a lot of people, as you just mentioned, do want to know what the current condition of their dock, the dock is that they would be purchasing. They don't want to purchase a dock that's basically at the point where the Corps of Engineers has told them, well, you need to get that dock off the lake. Nobody would want to buy a property with a dock like that. So what we do is we tell those um, current or the prospective buyers, get permission from the current owner to allow us to speak with you, provide that to us, and we'll We'll freely, we'll even go out there and inspect that dock and let you know what you're working with. So um, when we talk about um, areas within the flow easement, right? Uh, or, you know, you have a property and you can't, you can't build permanent structures, right? Can we talk about some things that, what qualifies as a permanent or habitable structure? Because there, there may be some confusion about, you know, um, I know back in the old days, they used to have like what sea huts at a lot of places, right? So what, what qualifies as a, a permanent or habitable structure? And is there a difference between permanent and habitable or both? Right. Um, the flowage easements, each, each of them is written sometimes a little, not differently. There may be some general ways they're written, but there can be variations on how they are written. So one may say habitable structure in it and one may not, or one may have released what is called the habitation clause, which in that circumstance, that individual who owns that property may have a house on there. Once upon a time, the back in, back in the day, the government would have released that habitation clause, which would allow them, if that dock was destroyed due to flood, they could build, or sorry, not dock house, for example, they could build that house back as many times as they wanted to. Now that's never economic or financially a good idea, but that's what was done back then for the, that example. And, um, you, and they, they basically surrender their right to, you know, for compensation from correct. us or from the core, right? Correct. Because that's literally like flowage. It's area that's designed to flood, right? Or well, purchased to flood, right? Right. Um, so within those flowage easements, um, a permanent structure, it's more of a habitable structure is what the flowage easements usually. So it, they can still have a permanent structure, for example, like a chain link fence. Okay. That's not really going to affect the flow or the water storage of the lake. So a shed, it, a shed that w- 
that would be a permanent structure, but it's not a habitable structure. So most likely we would approve them to place that. For example, in one situation, um, as mentioned before, I can't talk specifics on who the owner is, but in this situation, they built a pole barn building. Mm -hmm. And a pole barn building itself for storage would be okay. But these owners decided to turn that pole barn building into a habitable structure. They placed bedding in there. They basically turned it into a house, a metal sided building house, which that moves over into a habitable structure. And that is not allowed within a flowage easement. So they would have to either remove it completely or take it back to the pole barn building that it was approved for. Right. And if you're, if you've got a, I would imagine if you've got a storage building that's approved, you, you can't store certain things in that storage building, right? Like there are certain things aside from people, right. Who might be sleeping in beds, but like there are certain things like certain chemicals you certainly wouldn't want being in that, right. In that structure. Is that listed typically, or does it just identify that there's a, a, a certain, um, do those those agreements typically identify there are certain categories of of chemicals or things that you cannot have right. stored there? It would be yeah written similar to what you just mentioned. It would probably not specifics on what right types of chemicals, but it would say it have broad topics of these things cannot be stored um, on these flow achievement lands. Um, so. I know that there was a question about a parking lot down around RS Kerr and you guys also have, you guys also oversee um, recreation at Worcester and you WD Mayo, which is WD Mayo's navigation lock and dam uh, 14 and then a Robert S Kerr lock and dam 15, but there are some recreation there and, um, and, and your lake office, you guys are about 45 minutes from, RS Kerr, is that or is that about right? Yep, that's a good estimate. Yeah. yeah. So tell us about about there's like a parking lot down there, right? Right. Um, so as we have talked about a little bit back in 2019 was a pretty big, significant, one of the biggest in recent years, flood event all over Oklahoma. Most of the lakes were affected. A lot of lakes were on what we call flood watch, which is around the clock surveillance of the dam to make sure it's still structurally intact and there's no issues with it. So back in 2019, when that flood happened, the there's a parking lot below Robert S. Kerr powerhouse that is open to the public that was allowed for the public to use to park in to access the area along the channel to fish from. So there was a bathroom there, there's a parking lot, and that allowed them to drive up to the guardrail park and fish, which is very common around most of the lakes in Oklahoma. But in 2019, with the high water releases, that parking lot was pretty much completely destroyed. So in the past couple of years and past couple of months specifically, there a contract was approved that hired an outside contractor to come in and completely replace Put, do, put down new black pop, blacktop, um, put all new foundation in so the um, parking lot would be on a strong foundation, put up a new guardrail, put up a new sidewalk, put a new bathroom in. So basically building all what was there before and probably even improving it in some aspects. Probably a lot less potholes than what used to be in right. the parking lot. Right? Yes. Yeah. So basically a brand new parking lot right. down below that dam for the public to use to come fish, to park, um, 
similar to what happened at Eufaula as well during that flood event as well. Eufaula down below its dam, we lost the downstream parking lot completely as well. So um, Federal Highways comes in, we get funding through them to for and what is called ERFO, uh, which is the Emergency Relief for Federally Owned Roads. Mm -hmm. We got funding through them for that parking lot as well to build that parking lot back, get an outside contractor to come in and build that parking lot back. Yeah, I think in 15, there was a lot of damage. Yeah, I, I could be, yeah. I might be incorrect. It was back in 15, yeah. maybe that was the I, one I below you follow. I remember going, correct, going down and, and getting some uh, pictures of that on back in 15 or right after the 15 flood. Yeah. Uh, and, um, oh, there, you know, people are probably, <laughs> we've, we've received this question, I know, <laughs> and uh, um, there's work going on at, at the bridge deck over the dam and the dam technically because it's part of the, the structure. But um, is there any artificial raising or lowering of the lake level based upon the construction? <laughs> no. There are lots of rumors and y'all probably get lots of phone calls and people and even on social media saying, oh, the Corps is doing this, the Corps is doing that. No, there's no artificial raising or lowering of the lake level to during that process of replacement of the bridge deck across Eufaula Bridge. Right. If it's if it's high, it's because, well, it's just been raining or it's been raining. correct. Although we've had pretty I think our lake levels starting to get down back to normal, closer to normal. I think right we're now. still I, still I haven't up. checked recently. We were up, I think last week still about two feet. And um the reason for that um is if you check the lake levels of other lakes in this district, for example, Fort Gibson, they were still significantly higher um, due to the size of Eufaula and the shoreline and the capacity of this lake. We can hold more water longer periods of time if we have to. So we may hold it two feet above and allow power generation to slowly bring it down while other lakes are lowering their pools to get back down to their normal conservation pool. And then once they get to a certain point, then follow will release again so that all these lakes are then prepared for another heavy rain that could be any day. You, uh, one of the other, uh, aside from shoreline use permits, right, you, um, you also have licenses and easements, right? So tell us about those. Okay. Um, so licenses and easements around this lake, um, like what's the, the most, most common, the most common ones are electrical line licenses, water line licenses. Um, those there's flowage easements, um, around this lake that we've talked about a little, little bit about already, but the two common ones are the electrical line licenses and water line licenses. And what those are is where the private property ends and the government property starts there's an electrical line running from a power pole that goes down under core property to the, a boat dock and comes out of the ground at the walkway to the boat dock, and it feeds power to that dock. Is that typically a, a private uh, individual that does those, or is that, are we talking about the power companies or, or co-ops or whatever? Is, that, is, it, or is this something that someone says, hey, you know, I want my boat dock to have lights on it so that I can see it when I'm coming back? Um, it's usually people have to go through a licensed electrician. So it's not something that I, for example, if I had a boat dock, I couldn't just put electric down to my dock by right. myself. Yeah. I'd have to go through a licensed electrician. 
that would follow the National Electric Code. But on a side note, before talking or before talking more specifics or going into more depth on electrical line licenses, there is people cannot receive those anymore. The reason okay. for that is within the Corps of Engineers, there's the non-recreational outgrant policy, which um, it does many things, but the electrical line license is basically, there's another means on getting power and that's solar power. Mm -hmm. So if there's another means, they have to go through something that's not gonna damage core property, that's not gonna have any soil disturbance, and all these electrical line licenses that were existing can be maintained. We'll allow the customers to keep them and maintain them, but there's no new ones. So if anybody wants a new one and wants power to the dock, they would have to do, say, solar power because that electrical line was basically providing them private use of those resources and the non-recreational outgrant policy. It, that's just one of the aspects that is trying to be eliminated. There's other means. It may cost more, um, but there is another means on getting power to their dock. So they have to do that means that's not going to do anything to core property or okay. use those resources. Okay. And I guess there's also some concern about potential for, you know, if those lines get damaged, you've essentially got a, uh, well, I'm sure it causes short, but it could cause, you know. Right. Um, as a ranger, I'm not an electrician, but if I notice damage to that line or the customer has damage, then they have to get it repaired. If, if they don't get similar to a dock, if they don't keep it compliant and they keep it repaired, then they would potentially have to remove it or lose their license. Yeah. So a lot of the, some of the areas around this lake, for example, the city of Eufaula, there's a marina that where there's a concessionary, that marina that is located on core property is located on the lake. It may have parts of it that are off of core property, but it's on core property and those areas are what are leased out to say the city of Eufaula for the use of that area. It's a concessionaire so they can use exchange money on core property. Um, only where there's a concessionaire in place can something like that happen. Um, there's other marinas around this lake. There's one at Highway 9, Highway 9 Marina. Then there's um, Dutchess Creek Marina. Um, I believe there's one Area 51 Marina. There's different marinas around this lake that are considered concessionaires. So a concessionaire, as mentioned, is the only areas where there can be um, exchanging of money made on core property if there's a properly licensed concessionaire. Right, and they have to follow certain rules and regulations and... and uh, Correct, and real estate, as you mentioned, is the main individual behind that. They Those le leases are through them. We may inspect them at our level on this lake, but they ultimately manage all those, and they're the ones that if there's any issues, if they're not following Corps of Engineers regulations, they get a deficiency letter or some sort of, you need to fix this letter from real estate telling them that they have a time frame on getting these um, issues fixed. Any discrepancies, right? Correct. Yeah. So you guys have been doing some, yeah. So you guys have been doing some work at Brook and Cove. Mm -hmm. You put in a new sports complex, right? So tell us about that. I took some photos of that earlier today. So Previously, that area had just been an open grassy lot that wasn't used for anything, but it seemed like a great location to provide the public with some sort of area where they could basically boost their camping experience when they come to one of our parks. Um, gives them one other way 
to enjoy the time while they are there. So that sports complex includes all-weather cornhole um, board. They're not boards in this case. They're actually giant chunks of concrete with a hole yeah, in them. They're so heavy. they're all-weather. Yeah, we. I was actually involved, one of the individuals out there that was involved in placing them, and they're all there. They're probably, I think, about a ton apiece. Oh, wow. Nobody's going to walk away. No. So we have bags that people can um, check out in our gate shack. They can go up to the gate shack and check out cornhole bags and play cornhole, or people can bring their own, which is usually what happens. And then there's also a basketball court there as well, um, along with some soccer nets. And well, then... there was a basketball court there. <laughs> You're going to have to replace it, right? Yeah. we're um, The concrete court is there. Yeah. We're we're working on getting a new um, bas- permanent basketball hoop that will yeah. be concreted in the ground and available so for the public to use. Yeah, it looks like the court, y'all guys had to, you had to pull up the concrete from the court because equipment fell on it. Something fell on it, broke the concrete. You didn't, I saw it today. It was up, I think, yesterday. They did it. Well, this is awkward. You've been off for two days. I don't That's right. You've been off for two days. I'm sorry. You're like, whoa, what? (laughs) I didn't catch you, but I didn't give you a chance to get a debrief before you came into work. You literally came into work and were basically ready to come do this interview today. So, um, (laughs) sorry, I threw that at you. That that wasn't expected. And you got, Horseshoes, right? Horseshoes and then a soccer, soccer soccer nets as well. Yeah. So it's a lot of, it's a great idea and hopefully there'll be other opportunities, maybe one on the north side of the lake as well, eventually, um, that allows, as mentioned before, just the public, another way to have fun while they're camping in our parks and just give them an area where they can go since cornhole is very popular. That's Mm -hmm. definitely, I've seen people, I'm currently working nights, which I come in at 2.30, work to 11. Um, Since we have people in our parks now, Sunday through Saturday, all hours of the day. Usually during the nights, people are sleeping, so there's no need for ranger coverage. But we have county deputies that do manage those areas and are available if there's any sort of emergencies, whatever park that county is in. For example, Brooklyn, as you've talked about, is in Haskell County. So Haskell County law enforcement is available if there's anything that happens within that park. Um, so that since I'm on the what we call the night shift, um, I'll have to see people going out right now since it's 100 degrees out during the day. At about 8 or 9 o'clock, you'll see people using that right before it gets too dark or they'll have their truck headlights or um, we're working on getting lights there as well so that people can use. Um, hopefully, there'll be lights available. Going to do solar most likely? Most likely, something like that. Yeah. Um, but people are wanting to use that and it's great to see people using that. Yeah. What uh, You guys have been moving some rocks too. Some riprap, right? Like where you had back before the flooding got got bad. Did y'all do some armoring over there at Brick and Cove on the shoreline up there? Yeah, there's one area or the area that I, a couple areas, I guess. For example, Bell Star, another park. Um, there was some very bad erosion from the um, higher lake levels. That when the lake is sitting at those high levels with the natural waves natural flow of the wake it just slowly starts to eat out the shoreline if there's campsites available or campsites around or concrete beds it starts eating out of those concrete eating from underneath away, it yeah. underneath them and eating yeah. away from them so that riprap is the means to hopefully slow that and keep that from happening in the future so there is as you mentioned armoring or placement of more riprap yeah brooklyn is one example where we've had a lot of that work done yeah 
So, uh, Matt, what what do you like? You've been working for the Corps for how long now? Six years or so? Six years. Um, right after college, I actually did a summer ranger position, which is a seasonal. They come on about April. They're done about September. Seasonal position where you're just during those summer months where when, when, they're the, when we are the busiest, we have additional rangers this year. We have three that came on to help provide additional coverage and assistance um, for all the parks that are super busy. Um, my right after college, I did a summer ranger position at a lake, Summersville Lake in West Virginia. That's when I was living in North Carolina at the time. And then I applied to different positions and that's the one that I got a call from. So that was my first experience. I actually didn't even know the Corps of Engineers had park rangers until I got, went there and I was like, really? Well, that's pretty cool. And that's upon finding out the core park rangers are very, there's a lot less compared to say the National Park Service. We have a very small number compared to them, but it's a great organization. I figured that out from the get go. I had a great time working there, getting to work with people, getting experience, what the Corps of Engineers was like. Um, and then I've been here now that that was the fall when I grad, or that was the summer after I graduated college. And then that next spring is when I was still applying to jobs. And I got a call from Eufaula, Oklahoma and packed up and moved halfway across the country. And I've been here for six years. So what a, so you, you always wanted to be a, a ranger, right? Or a park ranger, just maybe with the park service originally. Cause that's what you thought right. was available. So. Yeah, when I was a kid, I was actually in Boy Scouts, got my Eagle Scout. But through all those numerous years of camping, backpacking, hiking, just being out in Mother Nature and getting to experience lakes, mountains, all the types of things that nature has to offer, it had kind of been a dream of mine in the back of my mind. Oh, it'd be cool to be a park ranger and get to work with this stuff every day, help people enjoy this like I get to enjoy this. And so once I graduated college, that's kind of the route that I was looking for and applying. And then I got this job out here, which gives me the opportunity to protect those resources and work with those resources and help the public enjoy them just like I enjoy them and hopefully continue to do so for many, many years to come. There's a meme that goes around that, you know, that's the uh, what people think I do, what I think I do, what I actually do, right? How, how, how much, how, how, uh, how accurate is, is your, is your perception? If you were to say about that. Right. I'm very familiar with that meme. Um, parts of my job would definitely, so probably in high school, middle school, when I had those dreams of what a park ranger did, the, what I actually do now Parts of it definitely live up to that. Heck, I get to go out on a patrol boat and patrol a lake and drive around on a lake and make sure people are following the correct rules, um, using the best water safety knowledge that they have. Parts of that, it's definitely the, I'm doing exactly what I thought I would be doing. But with any job, there's also the in the office, computer time, paperwork time. There's a lot of that with this job with all with. Well, we've talked about all these permits, renewing these phone calls. So I kind of, if you, that little picture of what I actually do, if you kind of mark it in half and put, this is part of the time. And then this is part of the time. Um, and then you definitely have the people 
I've actually get, got the opportunity to have some people from other um, divi not divisions, other departments within the Corps. I had a lock and dam oper operator as part of the LD LDP2 program. I had a lock and dam operator come shadow me for a day. And it kind of just blew his mind what exactly we did. He had no idea. And the same thing when I got to actually go shadow him, kind of learn what he did on a daily basis. And so that was a pretty cool experience as well. Did you help a bar, a tow barge lock through? Got to see one. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Um, I, I never used to be able to understand how that worked. Like it, it, it took me forever to figure out the, the difference when they're talking about different elevations and like what you're trying to do is get something that's up here, down here or vice versa. And for some reason, for the longest time, I couldn't figure out why you have to do that, but you know, or how that worked um, in a body of water, you know, I but, thought it was and all, then I started the same level or something. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like then I started like, wait, there's waterfalls too. Right. So that would kind of, <laughs> um, Man-made waterfalls. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, I mean, you know. I mean, Controlled. Typically, you have, a, you know, a different elevation. But um, so what What do you think is the most rewarding part about being in a park ranger? I mean, you may have already answered it. <laughs> I've answered part of it. Um, another big aspect of it is another part of my history was getting to swim. I was a competitive swimmer in high school and college. So I got to swim at the college level. Um, definitely no Olympics. I know Olympics are big right now. Definitely not quite, not nearly that good, but just getting to swim that many years and then coming into a job and profession like this. And even around Eufaula itself, we've done lots of events in schools where we've done water safety events, where we promote water safety, tell kids all about water safety. And it's, mind-blowing and saddening at times to learn how many kids are not comfortable around water and don't know how to swim. I thankfully got the, I was actually that way once upon a time. And then I um, got involved in swimming and now I'm completely the opposite direction where I'm completely comfortable and I have enough knowledge and skills to last me the rest of my life. And, but being able to give back some of that knowledge, even during water safety, events and helping people realize just how dangerous it is to be around water. Unfortunately, as one of the, or as the largest water recreation um, agencies in the United States, the Corps of Engineers manages a lot of water resources. And unfortunately, we have a lot of fatalities on the water. But being able to try to impact people in a way that make them think twice before going out on the lake, say without a life jacket, um, or if they don't know how to swim or they're not completely comfortable or letting somebody know where they're going, even if we can change one life and save one life, then it's all worth it. And hopefully we're saving a lot more on a regular basis during all these events. And so just being able to impact people's lives definitely has to be one of the most rewarding parts of this job. Well, Matthew, I, I think we, uh, I think we've talked about everything. What have I not asked you that I probably should have asked you or that I didn't, that I, that I might've left out asking you. 
Well, there's probably a lot that's hopefully this time has given us a to scratch the surface. We've done more than scratch the surface on shoreline <laughs> management plan and the Corps of Engineers and how the park ranger, what the park ranger life is like. Yeah. So there's so much more ins and outs of our job. But if you think about shoreline, I mean, there's just so many things that can go into managing that. And we try to do as much as we can with the staff that we have. And ultimately we can't probably get to all 800 miles at one time. So we just pick our battles and make our priorities and do what we can. And um, is there anything you you that 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 you want to add about either being a uh, park ranger or working for the core or living in this part of the country? Is there anything you want to add about it? <laughs> is there? Well, working with the core, as mentioned. Earlier, I, did, I didn't, who know, who would have thought the Corps of Engineers had park rangers, but it's one of those agencies where it's talked about a lot within the agency of how amazing and select it is. And the more getting to work for them, the more you figure out that it really is. Um, yes, it's the government and everybody has their opinions on the government, but it's my opinion that it's just been a great opportunity to work with an agency that's trying to keep people safe in the best means possible. We have a big lake to manage and managing water can be a nightmare sometimes, but it's all, it takes all of us together Yeah, in the different departments and the different agent within our agency to do that the best way possible. And I feel that it's a, it's a privilege and honor to be able to be a small part of that. Um, and small little Eufaula, Oklahoma. And <laughs> I had to look it up. I had no idea where Eufaula was when I got the call from the manager here at the time of, we're interested in hiring you. And I was like, Eufaula where? <laughs> so I know there's a Eufaula, Alabama. And most yeah. people talk about Eufaula, Alabama. Yeah. But I have to always tell them, no, it's yeah. not Eufaula, Alabama. Yeah. It's Eufaula Lake, Oklahoma. And yeah. I, I think in Alabama, it's Eufaula. <laughs> Well, uh, thank you for, thanks, Matt. I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk to me. I know, um, you only gave you a couple days to, to get prepared. So, um, but thank you. And thank you for educating us about, uh, shoreline management plans and Lake Eufaula. And is there anything else going on that that's really exciting that you're looking forward to seeing with, with the lake? With the well, we're, we've made it through two of the major holidays. So we got one left, which is Labor Day, and that's kind of the last big hoorah around the lake and for the Corps of Engineers park ranger side in general. After that time is when it kind of starts to slack off on the recreation side. We're always busy around here. For example, once the public starts coming, stops coming more regularly, they go back to school and the winter months come is when we move into a different time of our year is when all the renewal of our permits. So. September, October, we'll get our 80 assignments that I talked about earlier, and we'll send out letters to all the public or all the people that have permits that are being renewed that next year. So we'll mass mail all those letters out. Well, then we'll go out and inspect all 80 permits that we have to look at, and we'll be ready once those start coming back in, which is usually a stack of 15 to 20 all at one time that need to be worked and gone through. Um, 
So that keeps us busy in the first couple of months leading up to the winter. And then we also food planting food plots is another big aspect of my job. We have multiple food plots around this lake in different areas where we are creating places where the public, they're already hunting areas, but we're kind of helping those hunting areas, providing those areas for the public to come in and hunt and have a better chance of killing something like a deer or whatever else they're out there hunting. Um, and then we also do controlled burns. Prescribed burning is what it's technically called. So all of our parks to control vegetation, control leaf litter. Um, we prescribe burn those areas, which is where we get to light stuff on fire is what we call it. Right. We get, get paid to light. The cedars, right? Cedars are one of those, those invasive species. Yes, yeah. we try to burn down some cedars in those parks and those areas, um, but it helps. It's a lot cheaper than the manpower a lot of times to leaf blow all the leaves or go in there with brush hogs and brush hog at all. It's easier and it's better for the environment in some ways too, because fire has always been a part of nature, um, a best management practice for nature. So we're getting to artificially do that, but in the same way, it's prevents bigger fires too later on down the road. Correct. Right? Absolutely. Gets rid of all that kindling. Yep. It's, it's built up over the years. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, Matt. Uh, I really, I really do appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Thank you for joining us for Corestruction. Corestruction is a production of the Tulsa District U.S. Army Corps of Engineers Public Affairs Office. This episode was brought to you by the Lake Eufaula Project Office. To learn more about the Tulsa District, you can find us on the web at www.swt.usace.army.mil. You can also check us out on most social media platforms, including Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram by going to at USACE Tulsa within those particular platforms. Thank you for joining us. Have a great day.